Hello, friends. Welcome to Kirk, Your Enthusiasm. This is Kirk Henderson, Editor-in-Chief of MavsMoneyBall.com. Today, I am joined by my friend, Matt Moore, Action Network. Are you a senior writer? What's your, what's your title? Senior writer. Does I that mean that like you're I, a senior citizen or I, you're just like in I charge always, of the writing? I always wanted that title since I started in the industry. It was like the one that you, you strive to get to, a senior mm. NBA writer. You work so hard to get to it. And the way I got it was I got to Action. And they said, I said, hey, what's my title? And they said, we don't care. What do you want it to be? <laughs> and I said, can I be senior NBA writer? And they're like, they rolled their eyes and said, sure. And then that that's how I earned it. It was a great moment for me. Well, if, if, if you don't know, Matt, you're probably not online, which uh, maybe that might be a good thing for your mental <laughs> health. But uh, Mavs, uh, Mavs fans are, are well-versed in, in Matt's uh, uh, very, usually very well-backed Mavs takes because in this, you know, you, you write for Action Network is a gambling website. A lot of what you do is is kind of started in gambling because you are like you know a lot about gambling, but you've you've been in the NBA analyst position for 10 years. So you not know a lot about basketball. And I I I I think it's safe to say that over the last several years, the Dallas Mavericks have sort of thrown you for a loop as far as what you think they're capable of versus what like your modeling is telling you. And that's both from like an analyst point of view and from like a gambling point of view. And, and, you know, just to kind of, to kind of get this started, if, if last year, you know, you, you kind of placed the Mavericks just outside the West uh, at ninth. And that was mm-hmm. like the, the first element, which got you uh, everybody yelling at you. And then as the season went along, you kind of pushed back on Luca being a all, all NBA guy, just because he really looked like crap for the first half of the year. Where are you with the Mavericks at this point in time, you know, looking at, at where things are before the season starts? So I think Luke is going to win MVP. He's the favorite. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, uh, he's the favorite. I think the way he's going to win it is going to feel very good in the immediate to Mavs fans. And then later it's going to be like, oh, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I think he's going to have the highest usage in NBA history. I think he's going to exceed Harden. I think he's going to exceed Russ. I think he's going to have one of those seasons that is exactly like those seasons in all aspects. The but more. Drawing and the, the grifting and the step back threes. And, you know, honestly, it fits his game because the efficiency doesn't have to be like super high level because it's like, well, on that level of volume, any decent efficiency is pretty good. And I think that fits him really well. Uh, I like the shooters that they put around him, right? Like getting everyone kind of like chuckled at the, the, the photo on media day of Tim Hardaway jr. He's back as everyone's like, who, but I think (laughs) important. like, I, I think he's really important. They have so many weapons next to him. I am probably of everybody in the online NBA media space. I am probably the most optimistic about the Christian wood pairing. I am like the only one that's like, no, no, I think this can work. I think this could be really good. Huh. Uh, it's going to take buy-in, but I think it can be really, really good because he's a lot of what I th- thought Luca needed. So I think Luca's got to put up in- insane numbers, and he's going to win MVP. I don't know if they're going to win 50 games again, but I don't think they're going to win 45 either. Sure. sure. I don't think they're going – down and i don't think they're going up i think uh, the biggest thing is that i think the loss of brunson is being way overstated in the market that's my big takeaway i want to circle back to that because that's actually what prompted me to bother you today um the luke mvp thing i tie it 
specifically to the Mavericks win total, because I think unless they finish in the top four, I don't think he's MVP because we're already starting to see a lot of narrative pushback on Jokic's Mm -hmm. MVP win last year, despite being the sixth seed. Now I think that's ridiculous because the win total, it's like there's a morass in the West where five games separate six teams. Like, what are we doing? That's like (laughs) flip stuff. Um, What, what's your response to that kind of line of thinking? So, I, I think it depends on how the, the landscape of the Western Conference shakes out. So three of the Pacific Division teams, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors, all have uh, win totals that are above 50. They're at 51, 52, and 53, respectively. 52 and a half, 51 and a half, 52 and a half, and 53 and a half. Well, guess what? There's only been twice in the last 25 years that one division has produced three 50-win teams. So, like, right off the bat, you could identify, like, the market is – inaccurate here like one of these teams now you have to guess which one but one of these teams is not going to be as good um so if you take out one of those teams right and one of the, let's say one of those teams overperforms and let's say the nuggets do really well if the nuggets do really well it's unlikely that both the nuggets and the wolves win 52 plus games right one of them it's likely but probably not not both of them one of them probably tops out like 47 48 that's fine mm. If the Mavericks win their division and get tiebreaker by virtue of winning the division, much as they did last year, they had that, that tiebreaker, and then they wind up tied at 47, 48, 49 wins, right? And that gets them to like a three seed. Even if they, lose, if they win fewer games, I don't think Luka's odds are going to be that low. The other thing is, I just look, there's going to be, there's this idea of like the pu- the pushback, right? The the talking head shows can yell all they want, but the voters are still like, yeah, but that was the best guy. And they're like, but last year you don't we care about what it? Okay, the voters are still like, yeah, but he's the best guy. Like that was the thing with Jokic last year. The the voters didn't want to vote for Jokic last year. Nobody wanted to vote for Jokic. No one wanted to vote for Jokic. They didn't want to vote for him two years ago, but they were just like. Look, man, they won 48 games with, like, a dustpan and a, a bucket of, <laughs> of Slim Jims. Like, what do you want me to do? He He's insane. It He's the best He's the best guy. And so that's going to be the thing with Luka. Is, okay. is, is they'll be, even if they win f- fewer games and they don't win as many as the top seeds in the West, because, like, the Suns have shown they can't produce a valid candidate. Like, right. if Devin was going to get it, it was going to be last year, right? the Clippers might win 55 games and Kawhi will still only play like 55. Right. And so if it's like Luca played 78 games, he came into camp in shape. Like I have a bet on Luca to lead the league in both points and assists simultaneously. Has that ever been done? It's never been done. So, so, (laughs) so, so I should, Russ may have done it. Russ may, or he was close behind Harden. He was like point percentage points behind Harden in 17. So either way, it's like, if I think that Luka's going to put up those kind of numbers, especially because there is, I will say also one of the problems and like Jokic has benefited from this is some of these teams, a guy looks so good. He makes the rest of his team look worse which in turn makes the top guy look better because he's dragging these bums all the way up there. Like 
Aaron Gordon's a good NBA player. Jeff Green's a perfectly serviceable NBA player. Monte Morris is going to start in Washington. All of these guys were on the Nuggets last year. But if you talk to anybody, it's like, oh, man, Jokic's team last year sucked. Like, it yeah. was nobody. And like that's – so that – I feel bad for the Mavericks, but it'll be incredible content. <laughs> okay, the second thing I needed to, to, to push you on a little bit more was walk me through your Christian love – Christian love – Christian uh, Wood – uh, the way that that works out with what you think he and he and Luca are, are capable of, because I got to be honest, I watched, I've been watching him, and I see the talent, but then I also see why he's been on seven teams. Yeah, I think a lot of this is okay. Like the preseason is hard for for me to. It, it's be, the problem with it with the, that first preseason game is it's a confirmation bias, right? Like you're worried that Christian Wood's going to be a shitty uh, defender that doesn't care. And then he shows up in preseason game where most guys don't care and he doesn't care. And everyone's like, aha. And it's like, well, okay. Yes. This is what he's shown before. And like, don't get me wrong. Like I asked around and like various league people, whenever I, if I bring up the Mavericks, that's what I've gotten is like, boy, I don't know if Christian Wood and Jason Kidd's going to work. That's there's like a lot of that. Um, my big thing is, is basically, I think the, the way to get around it is does Luca like playing with him or not? Like that will be the deciding factor. Cause sure. I have a hard time believing, I have a hard time believing that Luca is going to be like, why didn't you defend harder? That that's not what he's going to do. He's going to be like, did you make the shot? Did you roll correctly? Were you in the position that you needed to be in? Did you get me my assist? Did we get, did we, did we score? And like Christian Wood is an athletic at rim threat who can also space to three. So it's like. You get the at-rim gravity with Dwight Powell. Now, maybe not as efficient because Dwight's so freaking good at it. But you get the at-rim gravity of Dwight Powell with the three-point accuracy of Maxi Kleba. And, like, I, I did two weeks of Rockets tape. And after I got my eyes to stop bleeding, my conclusion really was that Christian Wood was, like, by far their best player. And Rockets fans hate that because they hate his attitude because they saw him half-assing it. Because they saw him playing selfish. That's the thing. He's still more talented than everybody else on that roster last year because of a bunch of young kids. Mm-hmm. And so if if Wood buys in, if he does buy in, which is a big if, but if he buys in, I think he can be the best weapon and the weapon that Luke has needed in terms of a consistent two-man game his entire career. <sighs> Offensively, I see it because even he played some – Weird, you know, he still came off the bench in a preseason game just for everybody's edification. I don't know when this is going up, but we're recording on Thursday, October 6th. I think it's probably going to go up early next week. Uh, so we'll have another preseason game under our belts to have overreacted to. Uh, he, he, the things he does in offense is just like, okay, this guy is a very skilled basketball player, but the defensive stuff, you know, even Tim Cato reported this morning in the athletic that the the Mavericks coaching staff is not enthused with his defensive efforts. Um, <laughs> Which it's just like, at what point does rock rock meeting hard place like connect? Because the Mavericks need Christian Wood. Like this isn't a, with Brunson being gone, if we're getting too shortly with Brunson being gone, they need him to score. They need him on the floor. They need him frankly to soak up big man minutes because Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell just cannot play the minutes they played. Um, I think it'll be interesting. So not to go into like the look plus minus, you can contextualize all sorts of ways. Sure. Right. But for me, and I was talking about this the other day on Twitter, 
at its very core, you can argue with all you want. <clears throat> Plus minus is literally, did you win or lose your minutes on the floor? That's it. That's all. That's all it is. Is like, did you? Now it doesn't mean that you're the reason why. It just this is what happened. This is a fa- like event occurred. You were on the court. Team was outscored by X or outscored opponent by Y. Right. right. I'm gonna be very curious if it turns out that basically he looks like garbage. He doesn't give good effort. He's not where he needs to be. The coaches and teammates are frustrated. They were still a plus seven and all other bigs are like a plus four. Yeah. Like this is, I'm I'm watching this in Denver with MPJ where MPJ in the first preseason game got lost on four different possessions. Had no idea where he was supposed to be. Was not at all where he was supposed to be on the floor. Caught it and drained a contested jumper. Just didn't matter because he's a 6'10", 50, 40, 90 shooter. It doesn't matter. So with Christian Wood, it's like, okay, if the off if the defensive rating jumps to one eleven and you're tra- like last year you're like trying to get in the one oh eight range, mm-hmm. you're three points worse with him on on the floor. And like with JaVale, you're at like a one oh five. And so it's really excellent. But offensively, you're like a you're like a one fifteen. Do you well, the, care? The, the offense in Dallas didn't really find itself until after Porzingis got traded because yes. They were running two different offenses, the make make Porzingis happy offense and the Luca plays Luca ball offense. Paired with all the Luca getting into shape. You you know, you just make a blanket assumption that they're going to continue to play offense the way they played last year, which wasn't super efficient, but was still pretty friggin' good. And and it's it's you know, well, I've heard start break, like there's still room for improvement there. It's one of the reasons why, again, I'm high on the win totals. I'm just like, mm. I think this team underperformed last year. Yeah. I mean, I they, just, they, well, they underperformed for the first half of the year and then they overperformed the second half of the year. I don't even know if that's true, Kirk. Dude, really, they, they want, they went 35 and 12 after January sure, 1. But that, but there's a big difference between like how the, this, like, the, here's the question, right? Is, is it important how you played or is it important what you won? Uh, it's winning. Yeah. And, and, well, here's what, no, well, here's what's interesting is like, so our, our good friends at part now would tell you that how you played and what those numbers say are is more important than the win loss record. Here's what's fascinating when we talk about the betting space, right? When we're talking about the win total. Okay. Uh, the research I've done shows that the bookmakers think exactly the way Seth does. So they set these lines based off of what the numbers say that they should have been, not what they actually won, which means that there's often actually an overcorrection in that direction. And the teams that overperformed and won more games than they were supposed to go over the next year. And the teams that underperformed that everybody's like, they should have won way more games. I'm hitting the over. Those teams go under. So it's like, if the Mavericks, who are basically, by the way, according to the metrics, were basically in line with, with where they should have been last year. If the Mavericks last year, if we if we think like, well, you know, honestly, they underperform late in the year. You're right that the win-loss record actually matters more because the win-loss record oftentimes is more indicative of actually how the next year will result relative to the market than what the numbers suggest. Interesting. That's crazy. Because I just I have a hard time with this, and we're going to circle into why shortly because I, I think some of it is Brunson-related, at least yeah. for as, as far as the betting markets are concerned. I can see – I've heard just kind of through wing, you know, just through the the uh, grapevine that kid is 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 just he's not much of an analytics guy. It's not that he has disdain for them or anything. Yeah. It's just he very much prefers what his eyes are telling him. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how that rubber meets the road in relation to what you're talking about because it, it like kid uh, Christian Woods like l- like body language are, is. Yeah. 
like you you Luka Doncic can get away with shitty body language because sure. he's an MVP he's an MVP candidate. Like Christian Wood cannot. So it's just it's it's one of those so, things where I'm wondering how these two things reconcile themselves as the year goes on. So that's the question, right? Like, okay, uh, the Christian Wood pairing is excellent, but they're losing games. Then is Jason Kidd going to blame JaVale McGee or is he going to blame Christian Wood? He's going to blame Christian Wood. Because mm-hmm. he's going to be like, my eyes tell me that you're not trying hard enough and you're the problem, right? But if the numbers match the win per- performance – and if I'm right, and like they are like a plus six with Christian Wood, and they're like a plus four or plus three with JaVale and the other bigs, then and Wood gets more minutes, then Kid will keep playing him. Now the opposite is true too, right? With him coming off the bench. If it's like, well, look, we're winning with JaVale playing 30 minutes a night, Christian playing 15, and the bigs filling in the rest, like we're that's working. Coaches will always stick with whatever is getting them wins. Like there just aren't coaches that will look at, I have not met one that will actually look at this and go, look, we're winning games, but we're actually losing significant. Like we are playing so poorly in these minutes. I have to change something. Well, that's what happened to Dallas at the start of the year. Like they were winning games, but their, their win expectation was they should have been like under 500 for the first 20 games. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe that's, that's a credit kid, right? That despite that, despite it netting him good win loss results, he went away from hey, everybody gets a turn, the egalitarian Mavericks, as I was calling them at the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that then goes to what led me to bother you today specifically in relation to Jalen Brunson. Could you sort of explain your pr- position on what? Like, like what Jalen Brunson's departure has resulted in with, you know, these win totals and bets. All right. So the win total last year was uh, 47 and a half of the Mavericks, 48 and a half in some spots. That was the closing line on, on Dallas's mm-hmm. win total. Um, and this year it's 48 and a half. And you go like, okay, so, you know, by Vegas standards, they should be exactly the same. That doesn't reflect a loss. But if you look at what Dallas did when loss record rise, right? Like Dallas goes over. And so if you calculate based off of that, you would think like, wait, so they don't get any, they don't get any credit whatsoever for what they did last year, essentially. Like they're just the exact same team with this factored in as uh, Brunson leaving in the market. And so they're right back to where they started. Like they made all these strides last year. They won 52 games. Their Pythagorean expectation um, was uh, 50 and a half. Two wins higher, and yet they're still below 50. We see all these teams with these 50-win markers, like the Denver Nuggets, who didn't make the Western Conference Finals, are at 50.5 to 51.5. There's actually 52.5 in the market because it's getting bet so much. And I think I think Denver will be better this year. Um, all these teams are in that high marker versus the Mavericks, who are basically who are beneath the Memphis Grizzlies and in the same tier as like the Timberwolves, right? Who people think are going to be like really good. But like not like one of the top tier teams. Uh, that to me, there there was a lot of conversation and in, in like the betting markets and all these type of things about the idea that basically, well, you got downgrade them because they lost Brunson. And I just, for me, when I looked at the entire kind of tableau of of the roster, I came out with a there should literally be zero loss here for Brunson's loss. That that's really something. Because here's the thing. Again, a lot of this is just predicated on I just think Luca's usage rate is going to be absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Like, I think it's going to be throw up in your mouth. Oh, my God. 
about like he, he, wow he just has the ball all the freaking time look at these numbers like i really think that that's kind of going to be the plan and that's how it's going to execute and if i'm wrong i can see them going under if they try egalitarian stuff like don't get me wrong i saw the same quotes you did and all mavericks fans did when they were like yeah no i think we need to really push frank nilakina and josh green to handle the ball more and i'm like that's nope like literally you should just play luca 40 minutes and have him handle the ball all the time that's your best shot here guys um, which is which is just crazy because it it goes to show and i just got off a different podcast talking about this where and this is not specifically what we're talking about but the mavericks have just really 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 made so many catastrophic mistakes in team building with this guy and it hasn't mattered nope <laughs> nope and like, look i think a lot of this is uh, is predicated on the key question, if you're betting the Mavericks, and especially on the win totals basis, or on the division, which I think there's some value on, uh, I bet it earlier in the in the summer when the odds were longer. Um, a lot of this is predicated on an assumption that they can repeat the defensive performance of last year, which I thought it was just me and our group, right? That we were all like, I don't understand how this team is good defensively. So, like, I asked around, I asked NBA analytics people, and they were like, no idea doesn't make any sense they were just good i asked like scouts like pro scouts and they were just like well they put a lot of pressure on the edge and they have lots of length and good perimeter defense but i don't know how they went from where they were to where they were last year sometimes that just happens like yeah. it literally was just kind of a who knows but what was also interesting is i asked all those same people okay so if you can't explain it do you expect the regression and to a man they're all like not really like there wasn't a lot of indicators either from the statistical community or from uh, from the scouting community that I talked to of huge outlier defensive year, immediate regression back to form. It was kind of like, no, like they've set a new marker. And so if they regress, it's going to be regressed to somewhere like in the middle, you know, they fall from a top 10 defense to a top 15 defense. And if they're a top 15 defense with how good the offense is going to be with a, you know, what should be again, I think, the most valuable player this year with one of the best players in the NBA, unquestionably, he has to be in the top five conversation. If he's that good and their weapons can hit open shots, which I know has frustrated you in the past, then they're going to cook so much that defense can just be like, yeah, that's pretty good. And they'll still rack up 50 wins. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. Cause I think kid will put, I just think kid is such a defensively minded guy that he's going to put the emphasis on the defense working out at the expense of the offense mm. because it worked for him last year. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's going to be, I, I always kind of think that coaches will eventually revert back to like, I don't think kid and Malone are all that different as coaches, very heavy emphasis as coaches. They're very different as people in my experience, but like Malone knew he had an offensive roster. He still couldn't help himself by trying to play defensive players. Like he's trotting out there, Tory Craig three years ago being like, I need to stop her. You know, like he can't help himself. He can't, he can't just like stop caring about defense. Most coaches can't. Um, and they understand how important it is. And honestly, in the NBA, we'll say this, uh, I have the stats somewhere. If you're a top 10 defense, you hit your over on your win total. You win more games. You just do. Like, 
that's way more sustainable than offense. You can sure. have a great offense and still be a middling team. If you have a great defense, the Cavs are a good example of this. You play defense, it's going to travel. You're going to win a lot of games. You're probably going to be way better than people thought you were going to be if your defense is just better. So I don't blame him for that. The defensive effort thing is interesting, right? Just in terms of how much emphasis do you put on it? How does that impact your pace? You know, like, do you let your guys run? Like, do you let your guys, can you play a style that is more analogous, not necessarily to the Warriors in terms of sharing the ball, but in terms of like that 2015 team in particular played hellacious. This this team this year did played hellacious defense and then got out with a lot of shooters and good ball handlers and good passers and were able to, to create things. The 2018 Rockets, you know, Harden had an extremely high usage rate still. They had good defenders. They got out and they found shooters and they shot a, a ton of threes. And that three-point stuff can also make up a lot of the differential here, right? Like yep. their offense cannot look very good and still be very efficient and put up big numbers because of the personnel that they have. Man, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just still very, you know, and I'm so deep in it. Sometimes I have a hard time seeing the bigger picture. I, I have a, I, it's reconciling the fact that I think that every, there's so many teams better than them in the West and yet Luka Doncic just exists. And it's very similar to like Dirk, you know, 2005 to 2008 Dirk teams where it's just like, they just kept being really good because Dirk existed. Uh, and the West was also just such a murderer's row. And I don't know. So there's something going on right now, like as we've been talking, and it's worth uh, bringing up in relation to, you know, win totals and what you think this might do out West. So Victor Wimignana is playing on ESPN2, and he looks like, um, I, I I don't know how to, uh, people, I, you can just separate who's seen Victor Wimignana play basketball versus who hasn't by the reactions. Because if you watch him play basketball, the doubt goes away, <laughs> despite him being seven foot five and whatnot we're right now sort of seeing like talk about this being, you know, probably the greatest tanking race since, since Tim Duncan, do you think like, like that, how does that play into your thinking ahead about like win totals and that sort of, of element of the betting market? It's funny. Cause everybody wants to talk about this instead of how to bet the number one pick. And that's like what I want to talk about. Um, sure, let's but, talk about that too. I don't care. We're ha- we're, I'll, we're more I'll than halfway like, through. I will give you the, the very, very quick digest version. The books are I talked to a bookmaker and he said they're not going to offer it until they get to June. But he said if we had to open a market right now, I put Victor Wemanyama at minus ten thousand. <laughs> to one to go number one. Um there is not like an equilateral value here where it's like it's not like Victor's not gonna be minus ten thousand and so Scoot Henderson would be plus ten thousand. Scoot's gonna be like plus three fifty, plus four fifty, plus eight hundred, maybe if they really got extreme. When the market opened in February last year, Jabari Smith opened at 10 to 1. 10 to 1. And I was talking to scouts who were all like, yeah, Jabari Smith's the guy. So I bet heavy on Jabari Smith then. And so when June came around and Palo Bancaro was 12 to 1 and we started hearing that he might go number one, I bet even bigger on that. And that two-way hedge position was basically like, as long as Chet didn't go, I was good. I will tell you the same thing. When the market's open for this, you're going to get Scoot Henderson at a big number that will like you will get closing line value. Scoot Henderson will be at longer odds when the market opens than he will be that last week in June when he's going to be like plus 200, plus three. People will t- force the conversation of maybe this team's going to draft Scoot. Maybe right. Scoot's better. What about Victor's medical history? All these types of things. So like as soon as you can, I would advise betting Scoot Henderson and then being able to play back on Wemanyama 
once people start to freak out that last week week before the draft when everybody's like, maybe it's not him. And then it winds up being woman Yama anyway. As far as the tanking stuff goes, here's the thing. Um, what you have to, there's a couple of things you have to kind of like keep in mind. One, the odds are, the odds are flattened. So it reduces a little bit of your value. Um, what's going to be interesting is who sets the bar. And what I mean by that is, is there a team that legitimately is like, we're going to win less than 20 games. Like that's honestly hard to do in the NBA. It's hard to win less than 20 because so many players do not care on a night to night basis. You can just right, catch you can them. sneak past somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the so-and-so they just beat the Lakers and then they had two nights off and they stayed an extra night in LA and then they flew in yesterday and now they have an early tip versus an East coast team. That's weird. They look a little sluggish. Like these spots just kind of happen. Um, so what's going to be interesting is like if a, there's a team that just paces itself and is like, no, 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 we're out tanking all of you, whether it's <laughs> San Antonio, OKC, Indiana, whoever, Utah, Utah, I still think is going to have to make more trades. Their, te- their roster is too good. Um, yeah. But if they set a bar like that, how hard does a team chase? Yeah. Like, are they really going to be like, yeah, we're actually going to, you know, and they have to be careful because there's so much conversation about it. The league is going to send a memo and basically be like, no, 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 we, we are going into the new media deal. You cannot be doing like I we cannot have three teams trying to win less than 20 games, right? And so it's like with the flattened lottery odds, are you okay at 23? Are you okay at 24 wins? Like there's teams, the Rockets can can win 24 games, get a top five lot the top four pick in a very deep draft that our friend Brasher keeps telling us, and be totally fine with good odds to get one or two and still go over their win total. So yep. I've actually looked historically these numbers that are like whenever it's like these are supposed to be the worst teams in the league. There's actually a little value on the over and the numbers that are like below 25. If their win total is 25 or less, there's no trend. Those teams don't tend to go under their win total because it's all priced into the market. Oh, I just sent you something that I don't know if you've seen and I want to watch your face as you as you see this clip. Uh, it's a clip of Victor Wembanyama, And it, this is just great podcasting. Sure. <laughs> so, so what I Matt I just got a live reaction to was Victor Wembanyama's fading trailing right corner three that he hits on the move, looking like freaking Tracy McGrady. I have never seen a big guy do anything like this. Anyways, he, he just like trots to the corner, fades. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, again, Mavericks podcast, guys, but I needed to talk to Matt about this a little Just, bit because I want to. And here, let me link it back into the Mavericks. Imagine this sum of all fears scenario that our guy Ian Cobb at Mavs Moneyball talked about. The Spurs and the Rockets have the potential to be so bad that both Victor and Scoot Henderson could end up in the Southwest Division to yes. go along with Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, John Morant. John Morant would be the worst basketball player out of the three of those in terms of talent, which is preposterous. I I hate this. I hate this. They have to flatten the odds at some point because the East is simply never going to get better. It's just, it's been 20 years of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say this. I honestly, like, I'm not saying I believe that the league affixes the lottery. I am not. (laughs) As I want this on record that Matt Moore does not believe the league fixes the lottery. 
I will say that certain results, like the Cleveland Cavaliers getting LeBron James, <laughs> uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, after playing nice in a deal to send Anthony Davis to the Lakers, get Zion Williamson. Um, that's before we get into Ewing and all these other types of things. Sure. Sometimes these things just kind of seem ordained. And so it would not shock me that in this year with so much high end, super mega star talent that a team surprisingly jumps up. Like to me, like one of the most likely scenarios that I would literally bet right now, um, Scoot Henderson already has representation. Mm Mm-hmm. It would not shock, by the way, his representation has a variety of connections to Houston, by the way. Um, but it would not surprise me to see the draft comes, Cade, or not Cade, but uh, Scoot switches representation to CAA. What do you know? The next guy, the number one pass, weird. What a, what a Um, These kind of things just don't surprise me. And yeah. so uh, in general, I don't, you know, uh, is, is it possible that we, that, the Spurs wind up with Victor Wabanyama and the Rockets wind up with Scoot. I think it's entirely on the board. I will just say from a, how the league has historically gone. Yeah. I don't think that the league is rushing to set San Antonio back up, given how their ratings went when they were literally the best franchise over the first 15 years of the decade. That's true. No, that's very true. Well, you know, there's more Mav stuff I want to pick your brain on, but I think we need to get some actual basketball under our belts, um, and then we'll maybe circle back with you 20 or so games in the season. Thank you for taking part of your Thursday afternoon to talk with me. I appreciate it. Anytime for you, man. All right, you got anything you want to plug on the way out? Because you, you run a daily betting podcast, which is outstanding, uh, but I can't remember the name of it. That's how good of a Yeah, you can I check have. out Buckets. Uh, we do Buckets, and we should, by mid-season, not by mid-season, by early season, we should be back up to five. Uh, a week, we'll have episodes on futures every single week, breakdowns of all that kind of stuff. Best way to see all of it, though, our app is amazing. It's the best yeah. way for you to track scores. You get Even if you're not a better, right, because folks in, in Texas can't bet yet. But uh, the cool thing about it, it's got like a halftime clock. So if you're like, oh, how much time do I have before I need to be back for the second half? We literally have a clock in there. Fast as API. It's going to keep you updated. Lots of great content in there. Check it out. The Action Network app. Well, thanks so much, Matt. We'll talk soon. Everybody go uh, seek out Matt Moore's uh, work on the Action Network. It is a really cool app. Do not follow him on Twitter if that's in order. (laughs) Um, Everyone have a good week. Don't know when this is going up, but there'll be plenty of Mavs content coming. So check out Mavs Moneyball, and I will talk with you all soon.